Thank you. Thank you for having me here today. Thank you for praying for me, uh, even just now, this morning, uh, that the Lord's words would resonate in all of our ears, my own included. And uh, as I thought about what to share this morning, we're going to be thinking about heavenly treasure. And as I think will emerge over the course of the time as, as you hear it, uh, you'll have a deeper, deeper appreciation for how someone who is, in fact, a son of this church. I grew up starting at age six, going to this church, No, many of you. It's actually exciting to see how many of you I don't know, to see how much the Lord has just continued to bring people into a family. And as I come back visiting for a family reunion, as it were, it's, it's just a sweet thing to, to be here and to feel and be reminded on so many levels just how much has been invested in me and how much of who I am today is because of people in this room and because of the environment and the atmosphere and living in a place where grace was not just an abstract word, but it was, it was a word that actually got down into people's lives. And I watched people live like the gospel mattered. So as I share thoughts this morning about, about heavenly treasure, I, I do so with, with a special level of gratitude to the Lord for, for what you have have given me and the blessing that you have been to me in this. And that's actually quite a significant point, as you'll see. Um, let, me, let me begin by asking you a question. When was the last time that you did something and you thought to yourself as you did it or before you did it or in deciding to do it, you said, you know what? I'm going to do that because that will earn me treasure in heaven. When was, when was the last time that was, that was your reason for doing something? I'm going I'm to guess it wasn't this morning. Maybe a little further back than that, right? Uh, if you're anything like me, the, the phrase heavenly treasure or then you'll have treasure in heaven, which we hear, you know, repeatedly in the, in the New Testament, usually from Jesus. Um, it sounds nice. Don't get me wrong. I'm happy to get treasure in, in heaven. But it's also felt pretty uh, abstract, uh, honestly, fairly irrelevant. Why, let me put it to you this way, why would I need anything in heaven besides the presence of God? What else is heaven going to have other than utter ecstatic, wonderful freedom from sin and freedom from suffering, freedom from death, endless joys in the Lord's presence? What, what is this treasure that's going to be kicking around? What's, what's my heavenly bank account really going to be worth to me or to Anyone? Why do we care? And I remember a friend of mine in college wrestling a little bit with some of the, the language. He said, yeah, you know, there's all this crowns in heaven language out there. He's like, but in Revelation, it just says that we're going to take our crowns off and throw them at the feet of Jesus. So it doesn't really matter. And I thought, huh, that, that's interesting. I, I, I see what you're getting at. And I think we are, in, in a sense, going to be throwing our, our crowns at the feet of Jesus. And, and yet, why, do, why does Jesus keep coming back to this? This is not like one random verse off the side. This is a a regular, repeated theme in Scripture. And so anytime you have something like that, where there's something in the Bible, there's something in your, in your theology that it's not that you necessarily don't believe it, it just it sort of feels like it's just sitting on the shelf. What, what is the cash value of this idea? Uh, not much is, is my experience for most of us most of the time. And what I'd love to do this morning is to see if we can activate Let's, let's try and cash that particular bit of Jesus' teaching in and, and just try to dig in and understand it a little bit better because I think it actually can have enormous practical right here, right now value for us. 
let me let me start with with this thought. If I were going to put words on why I felt uncomfortable with it, or why I couldn't do much with it, or why it didn't really feel like it went anywhere with with my my thinking and acting, it would be because it felt a little bit selfish. It felt like pursuing heavenly tra- like the right thing to do is to go love this person or serve this person or be forgiving or humble or obedient or kind or whatever. And and the idea that, you know, I need this extra little oomph of, and you'll get some treasure in heaven if you do it, it, it felt almost icky. Like, I, I, I feel like I should just want to do this because I love you, not because I'm, you know, getting my, my sticker on my heavenly chore chart, uh, uh, you know, big, big smiley face on God's fridge on, on my day. That, yeah, it just doesn't quite feel like that's what should be motivating me here. Now, um, our friend and dear brother C.S. Lewis has spent some time thinking about some of these things as well. And he's written a very helpful essay called The Weight of Glory. Commend it. Lovely, lovely essay. I've read it many times. Um, and one of the things that most stuck out to me from that is how he tries to get us into this issue of Jesus is appealing to your desires in ways that can be a little bit surprising. So early in the essay, he says this. We're told to take up our crosses in order that we may follow Christ. And nearly every description of what we shall ultimately find, if we do so, contains an appeal to desire. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. Our desires not too strong, but too weak. Interesting, okay. Where are you going with this, Lewis? Help, help me see it. Well, he goes on and says this. There are different kinds of reward. Money is not the natural reward of love. That is why we call a man mercenary if he marries a woman for the sake of her money. But marriage is the proper reward for a real lover. And he is not mercenary for desiring it. The proper rewards, pay te- careful attention to this. This is the key. The proper Rewards are not simply tacked onto the activity for which they are given, but are the activity itself in consummation. Let me say that again. The proper rewards are not simply tacked onto the activity for which they are given, like a chore chart with a little smiley face, right? That little smiley face, just a little happy marker of, yes, you did something good. No connection to actually doing the dishes, but it's a helpful little reminder. It's not that the true proper rewards actually are the activity itself in consummation. Just as pursuing uh, a man or a woman and ending up married, it, it's actually the pursuit itself flourishes in marriage. It's not, well, you pursue somebody and then you go to this other thing called marriage. It's you're, you're deepening in relationship the whole time. You're pursuing, you're wanting to dive into an even deeper relationship and your entire marriage is intended to be an unfolding of that same experience in consummation. Okay. Well, if if the right reward is an activity itself in consummation, then what is the natural consummation of loving and serving your brothers and sisters in Christ? If that's the right thing to do, and the Bible makes it very clear that it is, 
love people, love your neighbor as yourself. Seem to have heard that somewhere, right? That's, that's Christian teaching. You are to love your brother and your sisters. You're to invite people to come and to know the Lord and become brothers and sisters. What is, what is the consummation of that? What is, what is it in heaven that we are going to be treasuring? Now stay with me here. Because the obvious answer is the Lord himself, right? We will treasure the Lord. He is our treasure. He is our portion. He is our reward. To, to be in his presence, to be with him, is surely the greatest thing that we could ever have, right? So we are, are wanting to treasure him. But let me flip the question. What will God's treasure be? What is God's treasure? Us. Very good, right? Ephesians 1.18. Paul prays that we might know, listen to this, the riches, right? The treasure, the riches of God's glorious inheritance in the saints. We are actually God's treasure. Hebrews 12, he, he scorns the shame of the cross for the joy set before him. What is that joy? It is the salvation of his people. We are the Lord's treasure. And, A to B, now B to C, if we are the Lord's treasure, and he is to be our treasure, what does it mean to treasure someone? Well, it it means certainly that you would treasure what they treasure. You would care about what they care about. You would love what they love. You would be moved by what moves them. You would be invested, right? Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Why? Just because that's like a nice sort of thing to do that God was like, well, yeah, you should do that. No, that's the very essence of love, the essence of relationship. And that is how God has treated us. We treasure him, which means that we are called to actually treasure each other, which means, if you're with me, that you and I actually are each other's heavenly treasure. Let me say that again. To be brothers and sisters in Christ, to to treasure the Lord who treasures us, actually means that part of what heavenly treasure is, is that for all eternity, you will be enjoying in, delighting in your brothers and sisters. You are my heavenly treasure. And I, and, and you amongst each other, will be each other's Heavenly treasure for all eternity. I, um, I was at a speaking event a while ago as I was just starting to sort of percolate some of these things. And uh, it was a multi-session thing. I, I had a few minutes between sessions and I, uh, I got caught talking to someone. And I was feeling that pressure of like, ah, I need to you know, refill my water and get to the restroom and get back up and I'm feeling tired. And... and um, this guy was not reading my signals that I needed to make this a shorter rather than a longer conversation. And, and to be honest, I was having a, a significant amount of difficulty even following what it was that he was trying to tell me. He was just sort of leaping from one thing to the next and assuming that I had context about his life that I did not have. I'd never met him before. Uh, so I'm having this awkward, awkward interaction and I'm having that sort of internal pressure and sense of, I would just like to be out of this interaction right now. And I'm trying to navigate my way out as quickly as I can. And I'm starting to feel a little irritated that I've been caught. And, and, and all of a sudden, this particular thought, the, the doctrine of heavenly treasure, 
that says that this man was actually my heavenly treasure. It, 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 I was reminded of it and it hit me and I realized I was being a total fool. I had one chance, most likely. I, I, I've never met the man since and I, it's unlikely that I will. The speaking event was far away. Um, I realized in that moment, I will probably have something like four minutes on this earth with this particular gentleman. What? 10,000 years from now, what will I wish that I had done? What, what opportunity do I have? What, what could I seize in this moment? What would it be like for me to realize that this is my one tiny chance to have some tiny participation in the story that God is weaving through his life? It, it changed everything. I went from being frantically looking for an exit and an off-ramp from the conversation in, in the least awkward way possible to realizing I could just appreciate this person. And I, I, I had the, the thought coming from, okay, I feel a little bit cornered by this guy. He's not reading my signals. And uh, it, he's kind of hard to follow. And you know what? That probably means most people probably tend to brush him off. I can give him the gift for four minutes or however long it is until I really do, to be responsible, need to go and fill my water and get back up on the stage. But I have the chance in these four minutes simply to listen, to take an active interest in what he is sharing, even if I don't fully understand it. I'm going to ask a follow-up question when I don't understand rather than just sort of nodding my head and, and shifting my weight. Guys, it was so freeing. It was so sweet. It went from being uh, an awkward interaction that I was trying to get through to I had, I had a chance and an opportunity to be part of something knowing that 10,000 years from now, 10,000, 10,000 years from now, we would still both be appreciating the same Lord and aware of this tiny little moment that I got to participate in his story. How does this work? I've already hinted at this, but, but the basic logic here, and it unfolds in passages like Luke 12, 33 and Matthew 10, 42, which I'll read in a moment, but, but the base, basic math is this. You draw someone just a little bit closer to God any time that you represent God to them. So any act of love of any kind that you ever do for another human being, any service, no matter how small, any good thing that you do that has any impact on another human being, that is actually a piece of God's care for them. And it is actually growing their heart just that much more able to see who God is and how God functions. It draws them just that much closer to worship. It teaches them just that much more what it is to live a life that is actually life abundant rather than life of disintegration that the world would teach us. So Luke 12.33, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Those of you who are just in youth group, that may sound familiar. I thought that was a cool connection. Matthew ten forty two, And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. What's the idea? The idea here is, 
You can't lose the reward, not because God's really good at making sure the sticker gets on the fridge. You can't lose the reward because the reward is the person you are loving. And your delight in what Christ is doing in them, what he is doing around them, that their story of redemption, that they will tell uniquely, every one of us will have a unique story of redemption, a unique ability to proclaim the praises of him who saved us and loved us and shepherded us and forgave us for the very most shameful things that we feel deep inside a desperate regret for. The gospel that Jesus saves us, forgives us, draws us into his family, each of us will have a different story to tell. We have a different story now. And for all eternity, we will be telling the particular ways that we are able to see his greatness, his goodness, his kindness, his mercy to us. When we, when we love each other, we point each other to the living God every single time. And every point, every little interaction with the living God in any way changes who you are. And changes how you operate. I love how Paul puts it in 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20. Writing to the Thessalonians and speaking of their relationship and of his hope in the Lord. He says, what is our hope? Our joy? Or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. One quick analogy, just because I love it, and then for for brief applications. Analogy. I imagine most of us have a favorite movie, or at least, you know, three or five that would vie for that top spot. Why do you love that movie? I don't know about each particular ones of you and which movie you did. I'm not going to... Some of us have embarrassing favorite movies that we might not prefer to share in a public setting, but uh, you love the movie... Because it makes you laugh. It makes you cry. It makes you feel. It puts you to the edge of your seat. You, you find yourself just deeply engaged in the lives of the characters in this movie. You sit there for two hours and ten minutes and you forget that there's the rest of the world out there. You're just totally in the story and it's, it's absorbed you and drawn you in. Right? Your favorite movie. Two hours of it and then you go back to life. What if you could have that kind of, I'm all in, I'm engaged, I'm so sucked in and drawn in, I'm loving this, and I'm I'm wrapped up in this story. What if you could have that experience, times a thousand, and then extend it over 80 years? And imagine sitting down in heaven with someone who would unfold their story and tell you, literally, moment by moment, and this is what the Lord was up to, and here's what was happening. Now, I didn't see this over here. And you're never going to believe what happened next. But in the moment, and and with the director of the film right there, right? Jesus with us. Imagine that sense of just awe and being moved and being drawn in. And that is what you have. Is that what heaven's going to be like? I don't know. I'm not. I'm I'm guessing probably that exact thing is not how it's going to go down. But, But that in principle, that is the right That is the expectation we can have of that kind of treasuring of each other. Your favorite movie, times a thousand, times decades of someone's life, times all the saints for all of history 
all eternity, each telling a story of redemption from the Lord, so moving, so powerful, so unique, and so glorious that you will be unable to stop yourself from worshiping and crying out the greatness of the God who saves. Four quick applications. Number one, the most direct and most obvious, you can give your literal, actual money. Piece of paper, credit card number. You can turn those physical things into eternal treasure that you can never lose. Think about that. When you give somebody a ride, you spent the money on the gas and the wear and tear on your car. Uh, and by giving them that little ride, by, by giving them that service, right? it helped them get where they needed to go. And that kindness gave them that little taste of God's provision. That you were God's care and his way of getting them where they needed to be that particular day. And they have now been given that. And their gratitude, <laughs> their appreciation, or their totally frazzled and wasn't even thinking about it, and they're not grateful to you at much at all in that moment, but they still got where they needed to be, and he took care of them in a thousand ways. That, I mean, when was the last time you were grateful for every single thing over the course of your day that God did, right? You know, how often do you praise God that your heart is still beating? Right? We don't even think about it. And even so, in every little thing, you can take physical pieces of paper, you can take credit card numbers and bank account numbers, and you can convert that directly into heavenly treasure simply by using your money in any way, shape, or form to bless and benefit another person. That's crazy. That's a really good return on your investment for your dollars. Number two, encouragement. When you encourage someone, you are identifying something that God has put in their life, something God has built into who they are, how they operate, what they're like, and you are naming it, which serves to just reinforce it a little more. Right? Or, you're, or someone's discouraged and they're feeling down about something or they're afraid about something or they're hurting over something, and, and your encouragement is actually a piece of, of turning and orienting them towards, oh, wait, no, the Lord is here. He is doing something good. In some way, shape, or form, your encouragement points people to what God is up to and makes it just that much easier that particular day for them to hang on to and to taste and see that the Lord is present and that he is good and that he is there with and for them. That, that is the taste of God that they get from your simple choice to be an encourager. I, uh, one, my, probably one of my favorite examples of this, uh, I was, um, so I work at CCEF, Christian Counseling uh, Group, and we do a lot of training. I've had a number of interns, had an intern, we're doing her year-end evaluation, and I made an offhand comment. Uh, I just said, hey, you know, um, it wasn't even, I didn't even get to finish my sentence. I said, you know, obviously you're a great fit for this kind of ministry, and I hope that, and I didn't even get to say whatever I was going to say after that. She, she broke and she cut me off and she said, thank you so much for saying that. I've really been wrestling this year with whether or not I was a good fit for this kind of ministry. That blew my mind because she was great. Uh, and I, it had never occurred to me that she was wrestling with it at that level. Um, but she said, yeah, that, that's, really, that's really confirming to me. And it does really help me want to continue on. Which means, if you're following me, that for one comment 
that took me about six seconds to utter, I now get a special kind of rejoicing in all the changes and all the strengthening and all the growth and maturity and godliness and all the hope and the comfort and the insight and the challenge. Everything that every person she ever counsels will receive from her and will be blessed by in the Lord. Her helping people not shipwreck their faith. Her helping people walk in the path of life rather than death. All of that, I will have a special stake in. My little investment of one sentence, (laughs) because I encouraged her in that moment, named something true that the Spirit of God was up to in her life, I get to savor all of those stories and all the people that they will love differently. It blows the mind. Wow. A word of encouragement is a powerful thing. Three, prayer. Prayer cannot be wasted. There is no such thing as one of God's children going to him and saying, Lord, would you? Or even, Lord, you are. Or, Lord, I am. There is no wasted word with your heavenly Father ever. Do we always get the answer we want? Of course not. (laughs) God is thankfully, uh, he's like a parent with a two-year-old, and when the two-year-old asks to get up on the stove or to have six cookies right before bedtime, loving good parents say, no. Uh, If you knew what I know, you wouldn't ask for that. So I'm going to give you what you actually will most be benefited by. So we certainly don't understand all the mysteries of how God chooses to answer our prayers, but we know there are no wasted prayers. That's not how God operates. He doesn't pick and choose like, well, yeah, that one, I guess we'll count that for some. He always responds with love, better than we can even imagine. Sometimes with a direct yes, sometimes with something even better. So, right now, if I told you that you could pick up your phone, call your bank, and literally say like, hey, will you guys put another $10,000 in my account? And they would do it. We'd all be headed for the parking lot to make that call, right? Some of us wouldn't even wait. We'd just be like, I'm calling right now. I know it's awkward in the middle of church, but shoot, 10000 bucks just for free, right? That's what prayer is, literally. Every single word you ever speak to your Heavenly Father is actually going to be something you will still be able to spend and will spend with utter joy a million years from this morning. Prayer is never wasted. Let me give one last application, and this one is particularly sweet to give this particular morning in this particular church because this is where I learned this. But confession of sin. Confession of sin to each other. Why does that invest in heavenly treasure? Because you can't confess sin unless the gospel is really true. The only reason you would ever Share something shameful or wrong or embarrassing or foolish or stupid or cruel or utterly self-indulgent or whatever. The only reason you would ever share something like that, if you didn't have to, is if there's actually a Lord Jesus who came and died on the cross, who shed his blood for you. The only reason you would ever confess sins to each other is if you have the freedom in Christ to own The reality that you are broken and fallen. And in fact, as you confess sin, you're simply speaking, and this is what it looks like for him to save. 
This is how deep his love can go. And the gift you give to someone else, when you confess your sin, you are enacting, you are proclaiming, you are literally living at them by example, a picture that is a little taste, a little reminder, a little touch point with the gospel is true. It's all real. It actually works this way. We actually have the freedom from our sins that Jesus has promised. And when you confess your sins, you give the gift and the blessing. You invest in your own heavenly treasure because your treasure is looking right back at you. And you will be delighting in them in Christ for all eternity. C.S. Lewis closes his essay, and it's oft quoted, and you've probably heard it many times, but he says this, It may be possible for each to think too much of his own potential glory hereafter. It is hardly possible for him to think too often or too deeply about that of his neighbor. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. Listen to this. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or other of these destinations. We are investing in eternal beings. I read Luke 12.33 about Money bags that don't wear out. Jesus goes on to paint a picture of him, the master, serving a feast to his servants, inviting in those who have served. And what is that feast but the fruit of the Spirit? We will be feasting for all eternity on the good fruit that the Spirit generates in his people with a special particular, just ecstatic almost disbelieving joy in any place where we ourselves had the privilege of getting to be a part of that story, a part of that treasure, a part of the Lord loving and shaping his people. So let's not wait till heaven to be excited and to seek out and to invest. Let me pray. God, we want, we want to be those who treasure each other. We want the freedom of simply delighting ourselves in every opportunity we have to bring good and joy. We do this knowing this this is how you have loved us. You have chosen for us to be your treasure. We have turned our backs. We have wronged you. We've been ungrateful. Lord, you know where I have been ungrateful In the past 24 hours, you know the discouragement that brings my soul. You know, for each of my brothers and sisters, oh, Lord, thank you that you are forgiving and redeeming and that we will be telling of the glories of your redemption for the rest of all the ages. We pray this in your name. Amen.